Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. All right, morning, morning, everybody. If you've got a Bible, open it up to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. We're going to do a little series uh, just the next four weeks in 2 Corinthians. So uh, welcome to 2024. How about it, huh? Anybody feeling like super duper excited? Isn't there kind of like, it's just an unusual season ahead of us and many of us are kind of sensing or feeling just kind of this, I don't know, trepidation about 24. Um, And so uh, if I could just give a little word just to kind of start us off a little strong, uh, instead of making some New Year's jokes, I thought, you know, we'll just start with maybe what God's saying. So, you know, election year, our economy, immigration, uh, geopolitical conflicts, Ukraine, Israel, possible Taiwan, uh, godless ideologies, systematically targeting children, uh, all that. That's my list. You probably have a lot of yours on your list. Um, but here's the thing. Over and over, Scripture declares we cannot be ignorant of the enemy's schemes. Amen? So while we may have knowledge of these things as God's people in this season, and here's his word to kind of start us off, his voice and his word need to be louder in your soul than the voice of world events. Yeah, his voice and his word needs to be louder, and that takes cultivation by you. That's not going to happen by osmosis. The world's voice is going to be so much more louder this year than maybe we've ever experienced, but now is the time to get our eyes focused dead straight on Jesus and his kingdom and what he has for us to walk through. So it reminds me of when Jesus spoke in Matthew 7. There's a, he says this to his disciples, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. It's like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes and torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come, not if, there's when, they come, they beat against that house, it'll collapse with a mighty crash. And we don't want to be ones that are building our house upon the sand, right? Ever seen a house, uh, there was a famous one in Norfolk uh, and then a few others kind of in England where, uh, ever seen a big kind of landslide where it kind of, there's one famous one where almost like an entire like cul-de-sac is getting kind of sucked. There was a landslide, and it went right into the ocean, and you can just see it just kind of slowly descend. And, and the guy that, uh, the main house that was filmed, the guy was filming it. That was his house. And just imagine watching your entire, just everything that, you know, materially, whatever, not that that's the most important, but it would be quite shocking, right? We don't want to be found with sand in our foundation. We want to be found firmly on the rock of Christ. So, and that's kind of what really directed kind of to 2 Corinthians. It's one of Paul's, uh, it's obviously one of Paul's main letters, but it usually kind of goes under the radar. 
Usually not many people kind of work their way through 2 Corinthians. But I think that the themes and the message that Paul's communicating through this book is really important for us here today to walk through, to learn how to abide in Christ. And I think there's a lot of great lessons for us in this form that's form-fitted in a tremendous, significant time in human history for us. So let's pray. Lord God, we just give this time to you. And no matter where we're at with you, I pray that we could posture our heart to be open. God, to hear from you. Lord, we don't want to hear from just a guy speaking through a microphone. God, we're here to hear from your Holy Spirit. Hear from your almighty, eternal word. And Father, I pray that, Lord, you would just have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, a little kind of standard operating procedure that whenever we kind of dive into a new book, it's really important to maybe just stop real quick before we start reading it and give a little context, give a little background. So uh, the city of Corinth was a port city. Uh, It transported goods over the isthmus. Okay, so if you can see real, it's, it's not, it's really small. But anyway, here's this kind of map. That's where Corinth is. There was a huge trading route that went right through there. And so all these ships would come in north and they would transport all the goods over the isthmus to awaiting ships in the south. And that would be one of the main trade routes for Rome. Rome's off on the left and Alexandria is down by the, the little distance key. And those were the three main cities in Rome at this time. Um, Let's see. It was home of the Isthmian Games. Wow, Isthmian Games, a biennial athletic competition that rivaled the Olympics Games in importance. Corinth was soon regarded as the third most important city after Rome and Alexandria. It was probably around 200,000 people, and not unexpectedly, Rome or uh, Rome. Corinth became notorious for luxurious and kind of debauched living. I mean, kind of think. Uh, there was a lot of wealth in this town. There was a banking uh, and financial uh, hub here in uh, Corinth. And so virtually almost every pagan deity had a cult in Corinth. <laughs> so archaeological evidence, we find temples devoted to Neptune, Apollo, Venus, Octavia, uh, Demeter, Kore, Poseidon, among others. But their chief shrine was the temple of Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love and life, and there were Uh, Probably over a thousand temple prostitutes, men and women, that served to conduct the worship of Aphrodite. Sexual perversion and immorality of every conceivable and some inconceivable ways ran rampant through this city. Because of the luxury and vice of Corinth, the word Corinthianize was a term that they would use to fornicate with one another. It, was, it became a name from the city. It became so well known for some of their sexual uh, liberties. And so, uh, as Gordon Fee, theologian, said, although there were the Christian church in Corinth, an inordinate amount of Corinth was yet still in them, emerging in a number of attitudes and behaviors that required radical surgery without killing the patient. And that's what Paul's two letters are trying to do. He's trying to bring some surgery. There was some unhealth in this Corinthian church. And so his, both of his letters are there to serve as a little corrective, some encouragement, but it's there to, to, to stay the course. Don't allow the culture of Corinth to come and take over the message of the gospel, the message of the kingdom. 
Um, a little, okay, so that's the background of Corinth. A little background about this letter. This, is nece- this isn't necessarily uh, Paul's second letter to Corinth. It's actually his fourth. Uh, we've lost kind of two. Um, but in, after that first one, that first, if you've ever read 1 Corinthians, it kind of comes in pretty strong. And uh, he's rebuking some people that were leaders there that weren't doing the right thing. They, uh, one was sleeping with his father's wife, and, and just kind of, they were just kind of accepting. So anyway, he was trying to bring in some order, and the Corinthian church didn't respond too well to Paul's first letter. Uh, Timothy actually goes and visits Corinth and sees the situation there and sends word back to Paul, hey, they didn't respond too well to your letter. They're actually debating your apostleship. They don't think that you're necessarily an authorized teacher to teach the gospel, but these kind of Judaizer kind of believers that were coming behind Paul would win the people over saying, no, 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 you need to still follow the law. All 613 laws, even though Jesus came and died to rescue you from the law, these Judaizers were saying, no, 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 you got to still follow it. And so... Anyway, I know I'm probably getting into dorky weeds here, but um, this second letter, so Paul goes and visits the church in Corinth in the spring of 54, and we can read in Acts 18 and throughout that this trip was, a, was a one that caused Paul great pain. It was probably because he was there in person and having to confront people face-to-face. You know, it's one thing to, can, you ever, you ever uh, opt to write a little note to say what you wanted to say to somebody, huh? A little sticky posty note or something passive aggressive, you know, that's just kind of like hiding a message that you're wanting to communicate. No, Paul goes face to face. It was really difficult. And then he leaves. And he kind of had a large, large questions about, man, is that church in Corinth really going to make it? And uh, after he left, it seemed as if that, chur- that, court, that church in Corinth saw their error their ways, and they wanted to make reconciliation with Paul. And so they send word through Titus that they want to make reconciliation. Paul, we're seeing what you were saying through that first letter and through our meetings. And Paul, this is Paul's kind of last letter to the Corinthian church to say, hey, let's make reconciliation. All right? So he's not only kind of through this letter is he defending his apostleship a little bit, but he's trying to, again, Keep the course for the Corinthian church so they don't uh, fall away. So um, that's a little summary. Let's dive in. Um, after a while, at one of Paul's standard greetings, highlighting his apostleship that comes from Christ, he proceeds uh, with his greeting with them. So let's start in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3. He says, All praise to God. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When we are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with His comfort through Christ. Now, there's going to be this repeating theme that we kind of find throughout this, that that, that maybe with, with affliction comes God's supernatural comfort. And this theme is going to kind of run throughout the whole book. Paul goes on in verse 8, he says, We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, 
And we thought that we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. Paul's describing about his journeys and how at one point it got pretty dicey. And uh, at one point they may have lost his life, but it says, man, we stopped relying on ourselves and started relying on God. Affliction means pressure or crushing, and it was used as a word to describe the squeezing of grapes or the mashing of wheat. Affliction. That's sometimes when affliction hits our life, that's kind of how it feels. The squeezing, the pressure, the grinding. And it's excellent word pictures to remind us the potential value of affliction in our lives. This Comfort is not merely tender help that God gives. It's strong help. It not only gives relief and ease, but it gives strength. So when you're going through affliction, because this world prescribes affliction to humanity, our own because of our own sin and depravity and brokenness, other powerful people's sin, depravity and brokenness. And so here's Christ that says, man, if you're suffering affliction, he has supernatural help. Strong comfort that he gives. It is the weak man taking his stand boldly by the side of the friend who has come to his help in answer to his call. And in the company of his strong helper, finding himself strong to fight and act faithfully and bravely. When that friend comes to your aid, and that friend being the creator of the whole universe, comes to your side and comes to your aid, there's supernatural comfort and strength that comes with that. It's not merely pitying, sympathetic words that God gives, that just gives us solace under crushing burdens so that the spirit is not crushed, but no, He gives a new strength. If you're suffering affliction, God wants to give you supernatural strength in this season. Help which actually takes hold of the burden that you're carrying. Not just recognizing, hey, you're you're carrying a burden. I see you. No, no, no. He comes along and he carries that burden. Here and only here, in, first, in 2 Corinthians 1, here and only here is the only place that it speaks of the Father being the paraclete, which, which is usually reference to the Holy Spirit, the one who comes, the comforter, the encourager. But here, it actually references the Father as carrying that same Spirit. He is the one that comes to comfort you in the midst of of affliction. And you probably have your own story of times where affliction hits your life. And at, and, and Tom, sometimes that affliction comes not just not just one affliction, but man, sometimes those afflictions come in pairs or threes or fives. And it really becomes this instance that normal human beings try run farthest away from that. But if you're a follower of Christ, you realize that that affliction actually is going to produce something in your life that you couldn't fabricate yourself. No personal coach would put you in the position daily that maybe that affliction is putting you in, and what is it causing you? If you're turning to Christ, there's the masterful escape hatch, or like pressure release valve, not escape hatch, pressure valve that when you get to come to Christ and just... Allow him to be near. 
Allow him to be Lord in your life. It's amazing how that affliction can actually produce greatness inside of you. Heard a story of a mother who lost her son and asked an elderly Chinese man how to overcome her deep grief. I can help you, he said, but you must first bring me some mustard seed. But you must get it from a home where there has never been any loss or sorrow. So eagerly, the woman started her search, but in every home she visited was someone who had lost a loved one who had known some heartbreaking loss. Returning without any mustard seed, she exclaimed, how selfish have I been. Sorrow is common to all. Ah, the man said, you have learned a valuable lesson because you know sorrow. You can sympathize and have compassion with others and comfort them. And when you do, your own sorrow will be lessened. Man, powerful, powerful story about how affliction really does hit us all. And when, when we're in that kind of place, it, it's amazing how it feels that we're the only one experiencing this, that we're really the, the only one, maybe on planet Earth, to be feeling the very feelings that we're feeling. But man, when God gets on the scene and you recognize, man, sorrow is common to all and there's nothing inside of me that can salve my sorrow. I need something outside of myself, and that's why Christ came. One of the most powerful truths in the kingdom of God is one of the main themes in Paul's whole letter. It's God's power is channeled through human weakness every time. God's power is channeled through human weakness. It's amazing. Jesus could have picked all the best and brightest at the you know, most prestigious places, but Jesus picks average people and makes them great. And that's the message of the kingdom. That's the way of the world. The world would do it that way. The world would find all the best and brightest and create a, you know, a masterful utopian think tank. It's like, no, no, no. God chooses the average people and puts his supernatural Holy Spirit inside of you, transforms you so you can be who God made you to be. And walk in the works that he's created you to walk in. And through this letter, Paul turns upside down the natural expectations, the way the life works. Contrary to the way the world and our own human hearts naturally want to function, God takes what is low, what is despised, what is humble and weak to accomplish his purposes. Second Corinthians tells us that comfort comes through affliction, sufficiency through insufficiency. Life through death, blessing through suffering. You want to know the people that have the biggest gift of blessing on their life? Listen to their story. There's a lot more pain. But man, it's like, man, what produces such a blessing in you? It's probably because they've gone through a lot. Boasting through hardship. Chapter 12, we'll get there in a couple weeks, but God's power is made perfect in weakness. Wow, what an amazing God that he functions and operates like that, contrary to how we think. But that's the greatness, because a lot of times we think and we know that we are broken, that there's nothing actually really tremendously great inside of us and that we need him. Whoa, what a beautiful relationship. All that's needed is sincere openness to the Lord so that weak sinners, that's you and me, so that we can know true strength by His supernatural enabling grace. Paul goes on, he said, in 1 Corinthians 1, 
21, it says, it is God who enables us, along with you, to stand firm for Christ. Man, wait, wait, wait. There's God's supernatural power enabling you to stand firm? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what he's saying. Then he commissioned. He says he has commissioned us, and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. Wow. A guarantee. He talks about being enabled, being commissioned, that that God has identified Paul and his people as his own. How does he do that? He gives us his Holy Spirit. It says it's like a first installment. The, the Greek word is arabon, and an arabon was the first installment of a payment. Paid as a guarantee that the rest was guaranteed to come. It's a common word in Greek legal documents. Corresponding modern term is earnest money, if you ever bought a house, or down payment. It's an installment or a deposit that guarantees the full amount's going to be paid. When Paul speaks of the Holy Spirit as an hour bond given to us by God, it means that that kind of life that we live by the help of the Holy Spirit is the first installment of the eternal abundant life that only Jesus provides. The gift of the Holy Spirit is God's token. It's His gift. It's this down payment. You're mine. And you know it. And you can know that now. You don't have to wait till you die to know that. You could know that today if you don't know it already. Wow, what a grateful, abundant down payment. Then he goes on, chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Our lives are like Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we're a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we're a life-giving perfume. Man. Ever thought about being a good fragrance? Come on, fellas. Good fragrance? No, man. It's interesting. This fragrance of the Lord. It's talking about not your B.O., but it's talking about there's this fragrance that comes off a person's life and heart and words and speech and actions that, all, that tell, that almost announce to everyone around them. They carry a different spirit about them. Using this example, Paul would have stirred in their imagination the vision of a victorious Roman army in a conquered city. When Rome would conquer a city, they would parade through the main street of that city. And first would come the emperor. Actually, before the emperor would come massive amounts of incense. And they had a particular scent. So as Rome, they were... They were kind of cleansing the environment. Imagine kind of the imagery of this. All this incense going before the emperor. The emperor would walk down, and then the army would walk down, proceed down, and then all the prisoners would be behind them on their way to being executed. And so that, that incense, that fragrance that was in the atmosphere, that would have had diametrically two different reactions in the crowd. One Man, there's victory to the other that's looming death, been defeated. God wants you to carry a different fragrance about your life. So don't be surprised if your Holy Spirit fragrance doesn't sit well with others. It's okay. God still loves them. God still wants to have a relationship with them. Um, and I think that that's maybe, I don't know, 
Total side note, not even in the notes. That's maybe just something that be reminded for us to carry as God's people, you know, through kind of hard times. You, you might, might get tempted to kind of see certain people or certain sides as quote-unquote enemies. Never. Not in God's house. We don't see that. We see people made in the image of God. All right. So we have to see this new covenant that Jesus came to give is, this great, is the greatest covenant God could make with mankind because it's an unconditional covenant instigated by God himself. Nothing to, has to do with you. God is the one that initiated this covenant. God is the one that chooses you. He's the one that adopts you. He's the one that puts his Holy Spirit in you. He's the one that transforms you and sanctifies you. He's the one that makes you more and more into the image of God. We'll get there, but amazing. 2 Corinthians 3, it says, Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We're not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. Now, this is speaking real brief of when Moses came down from Mount Sinai after receiving the law. It says his face glowed. There was like a glory about his face, as if because he had seen the Lord, that, that glory Moses carried with it till he got back down and had to handle some business. But anyway... Uh, it says, but the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the Old Testament is being read, some veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. This veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today when they, are read, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. Verse 16. And here's the culmination of this whole introduction for Paul. He says this, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil's taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord, and the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Wow. That veil over that human heart. That veil that could be, a, there's numerous layers to this veil that we some, that can have in, over our hearts. It could be a veil of ignorance, that our minds are wrapped up in such thick clouds of ignorance that we neither knew God nor really knew ourselves. And so we're just trying our best to kind of navigate our way through this life, but recognize, not recognizing that there's this veil that's covering your heart. It could be a veil of unbelief. The scribes and the Pharisees, man, they saw Jesus restore the blind. They saw the lame walk. They saw the deaf receive hearing again. But it never wrought faith in their consciences. They were, as the Apostle Paul says, they were shut up in unbelief. And this is just our state by nature. Unbelief has such possession of our heart that we cannot believe the things of God until they're made known to us by divine revelation. Pride, self-righteousness, even hypocrisy adds layers to that veil. However, it is interesting. When you think of all the effort the enemy spends to deceive you, to blind you to who you really are, to catch you up in a bunch of fear, to do all the things that he tries to do, you know, you know our food, water, Air, I mean, you could probably, I mean, it's all, but in a moment, 
all that effort, all that energy he spends in a second, that veil can be removed and that person can be made right with Christ because they turn to the Lord. In a second, all his effort, all that warfare raging over your life, boom, can be put to a stop and you can be made right with Christ in a second. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that any of us can kind of turn to Christ and come to Him and receive help in times of trouble, in times of need, in times of affliction? Man, that's when we need Him the most. But this is verse 16. Whenever someone turns, man, the Spirit of Christ turns the person to Christ, taking the veil from their heart so they can see Christ in this amazing new covenant that He came to bring. At the same time, bringing them into broad pastures of spiritual liberty. False teachers at Corinth were apparently holding forth the law as a way to change one's life. Here, follow these rules. Follow the dogma. Boom, boom, boom. That's not how God transforms our heart. Sadly. Yeah. To either legalists and to the rule, love rule keepers. That's not how God transforms our heart. This deliverance, it's freeing you from the bondage of sin, the penalty of sin, the slavish fear of death. And that liberty that only Christ provides gives you and I certain rights and privileges, an enlarged heart, courage, confidence, boldness, strength, authority, and hopefully some humility sprinkled all over that thing. Then verse 18, so all of us who have had that veil removed see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who's the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him. Like I said, this verse is Paul's kind of crescendo to this opening introduction. It presents a truth so exciting that many of us kind of miss it, that you and I share the image of Christ. And that if His Holy Spirit is living inside of you, that He's taking you from glory to glory, from strength to strength, that He's maturing you. And He loves that process. He's not looking for perfection on everyone. He's like a great-grandfather. Well, great, let me rephrase that. He's the best father that you've ever had because he comes alongside of you and shepherds you and encourages you and corrects you, and he loves this process. And so you, in the same way, I hope 2024 becomes a year that you love the process, that you, that you just give God everything that you've got to say, God, I want to be trained and equipped to be your disciple in this generation because these times are very significant. And now's not the time to kind of waste with a bunch of distraction. Amen? Now's the time to just, again, like that opening word, just stay clearly focused on the King of Kings. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your Holy Spirit as a down payment. And Father, I pray that if, God, if there's anyone here that, Lord, as we were kind of going through that, your heart was just saying, man, I don't have that. I don't know if I have that. Man, if that's you, God wants you to know before you leave today that that Holy Spirit, His Holy Spirit is living and active in your life. And how that exchange happens is that you just say, God, I give you my entire life. I give you my past. I give you all my brokenness. I give you all my doubts, all the questions that I have. But what I see in you, I trust. And I give it all to you. 
I give you my allegiance. I fall out of an allegiance with the world and its system. It's corrupt. It's so, it's tainted by man. And Father, I pray that you would just come in and reside in our life, reside in our heart. We invite you in. Father, come. Lord Jesus, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here, the God that just did that, Lord, I pray that right now that you would just secure them in the name of Jesus in your kingdom. And I pray that you would give them a heart that, Lord, wants to be trained and equipped to be your son or daughter of God in this generation. Lord, that there's nothing that would hold them back. No thought about their own identity. Father, no addiction. Father, that there would be nothing that would hold us back from giving all to you. Father, for the rest of us, I pray that your Holy Spirit, that that down payment that you've given us, I pray that we would rely on you more than we ever have before. Lord, now is the time, could Lord be so secure in you and clinging tightly to you. And Lord, from that, Lord, even Paul says, Lord, as you comfort us, we can give comfort to others. Father, you're training and equip us to not just be whole ourselves, but to help others be made whole. So, Father, I pray that, Lord, you would have your way with us. Direct us and guide us as your people. Lord, we thank you for your almighty word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, with that, uh, if you kind of participated in that front part of the prayer of just kind of, just, man, I want to give God my all. Before you leave, just whoever you know, brought you or just tell someone, tell a few people this week, like, man, this is, this is what God really did in my heart. Amen? Um, with everyone else, man, have a fantastic week. Hopefully, we'll see you here Tuesday night. There may be a little weather, but hey, faith got to be higher than that snow. Amen? You keep your faith frosty. That's how we do it, right? All right. Love you guys. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.